Boom. Good morning. Good morning. In today's podcast, I have special guest Craig Stanlin. After hitting rock bottom, Craig was forced to make a choice, give up or rebuild. He thought he had it all until he lost sight of what's truly important and made the worst decision of his life, losing everything along the way, including his own self-worth. Through the painful, terrifying process of starting over, Craig ultimately discovered that when you have nothing, anything is possible. Today, Craig is a reinvention architect and mindset coach, best-selling author, TEDx, and keynote speaker. Today, we're going to dive into rebuilding your self-trust after losing it all. Have a listen. Welcome to your Hidden Edge podcast, where there's a belief that each and every one of us has a hidden edge, one that could unlock that next level of success in any area of life. Unfortunately, that edge is hidden tucked away and buried deep underneath layers and layers. In this podcast, we'll uncover the hidden edge of high-performance leaders, executives, athletes, coaches, and authors to open your mind and stretch your frame of reality. If you know you want more, can do more, and be more, then this is the right podcast for you. Let's uncover your hidden edge. Welcome to the show. I am excited to have special guest Craig Stanlin on the show. Craig, welcome to the show. Jeff, thank you so much for having me. We've chatted uh, before this, and I know this is going to be a good conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited to uh, to dive into your hidden edge. I know it's self-trust, but before we get into that part of the journey, I'd love the backstory of where that was discovered, because I think that's going to frame up such a nice way to the audience of how you built this self-trust and listen, we, we all could continue and we're all on that journey of trusting ourselves more. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that backstory, I'd, I'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. And the backstory serves to drive self-trust because I don't think I would have gotten there without my backstory. And, you know, I'll throw a little teaser out there before I get into it. I discovered self-trust when I was in federal prison. <laughs> and we'll rewind from there. So back in 2012, I was a wickedly successful corporate executive dealing with all the largest financial firms in the world, selling all the tech products into those companies. And I lost sight of what's really important in life. And I got so caught up in the materialism and keeping up with the Joneses, not knowing that I was enough, not knowing that I was worthy. And I actually committed fraud against one of the tech giants I was arrested by the FBI. I was sentenced to two years of federal prison and ordered to pay restitution in excess of $800,000. And when I first came up with the idea to commit this fraud, it took me months to put this together. I looked like John Nash in a beautiful mind, you know, posted okay. notes everywhere, you right. know, all of the like scribblings everywhere. And so months of putting this together. And when it finally did come together, I'm sitting at my dining room table and I'm hovering my finger over the, the mouse to click the send button to initiate the fraud. Hmm. And my heart spoke and it said, stop, don't do this. This is not the way for you. And I ignored it. I okay. ignored that inner wisdom. And my fraud went on for about 10 and a half months. There were thousands of choices made to perpetuate this fraud. And each and every one of them was made in the face of that voice saying, stop, this is not the way for you. And I ignored it over and over again. When it all came crashing down the day that I was arrested and I lost everything. I mean, my marriage, my career, my homes, cars, money, um, everything. That voice, it felt like it disappeared. 
Okay. And that voice is really that self-trust. And so I had to rebuild it from scratch. Wow. So that's a little bit of that backstory there. Yes. I mean, what an incredible story and journey you're on now. So when you're about ready to hit that mouse button and you ignore it, what you, you, you describe the feeling you kind of had, what was the feeling after you hit that, hit that button? There was almost a sense of relief that I had done it because okay. quite frankly, the voice is saying, stop, don't do it. But mm -hmm. my ego and my brain is saying, I have found a treasure map that nobody else knows about. And I'm going to fix my quote unquote money problems. And okay. I get to, I get to not have to tell my wife at the time that I can't afford our lifestyle anymore. You know, I get to keep buying the expensive watches, going to the expensive dinners. I fixed my problem. So there was, there's like relief and this excitement. And then when the fraud actually worked, you know, when the first checks start rolling in, it was like, okay, wow, this is working. But each and every time my heart was like, stop, don't do this. This is not the way. Gotcha. Okay. So there was a lifestyle you were accustomed to money issues kind of piling up. You couldn't live that lifestyle anymore. So this was a way to not check that ego at the door and say, Hey, we need to reset, have difficult conversations with your wife, have, have all of those things. That's really was the driver behind hitting that mouse button. I took the easy way. Okay. Committing fraud against the tech giant was actually the easy way. Doing that fraud for 10 and a half months, which was like 9 million different balls up in the air. It was exhausting to keep all of this going, to keep the lies going, to ignore my heart. I mean, it was absolutely exhausting. And that was the easy way. The challenging way would have been to have that honest conversation, to do the reset, to be honest with myself. But I, I, I've honestly lacked the courage to do it. I lacked the self-trust to do it. That's amazing when you think about that, right? That that was the easy way rather than having a difficult conversation, rather than being honest with yourself. And I'm sure there's people listening. I myself have gone through trials and tribulations and many journeys and have been in that same boat, not to the level that you were at, but still I didn't. I wasn't honest enough with myself. I couldn't check my ego at the door. I couldn't listen to my soul and my, my kind of heart saying, no, you need to have a difficult discussion. So it's, it's amazing when you think about that, that the, the fraud was the easy route, right? Initially, and then Initially, it became harder, right? It became, I think that's so interesting is how we view the easy way versus the hard way. The mm -hmm. easy way is very short-term problem solving, which right. ends up creating long-term problems. The Usually the hard way, I believe, is initial upfront pain with long-term more meaning and fulfillment and, and taking that burden off of our shoulders. And it's so funny how it gets flip-flopped. You know, our brains, you know this, you know, they're wired for survival. So we're going to take that easy route not thinking as you know of the long-term impact that may be involved but it would have been an honest discussion with myself and then my now ex-wife mm -hmm. that's you know really at its core would have been those two conversations but they were too big and too massive at the time to to have them yeah i always love to say you're going to pay a price 
in some way. You either pay right now. I mean, I, I always relate it to kind of fitness because I've obviously used to own a gym, personal training. Physicality is a huge aspect of what I do every single day. And I'm always like, you should pay the price now. I'm 47 yeah. years young. I'm paying the price now working and staying in shape. So when I'm 85, 90 years old, I'm not paying the price later. And and you're you're never going to get away from paying that price. You just choose to do it now or do it later. And think about that. Two conversations. You said one with yourself, one with your now ex-wife. And you would have stopped all the hardship and the pain and the difficult times in federal prison that you, you had to endure from taking the easy route initially. It's, it's extraordinary when you think about it and when you can, in a sense, take yourself out of the, out of the story and observe from a place of being objective and really looking at it. It's amazing. You know, the crystal clear clarity, of course, hindsight is 2020, but just seeing and, you know, for me, when I was, you know, writing the book and writing the second book and realizing that committing fraud was the actual easy way, that was just such a, uh, a twist of my mind to wrap my head around that. And it really, I knew it was true when I wrote it, just hit me right here. I was like, holy cow, that was the easy way. And think about, and that just opened up a, a world of thought of, you know, where else am I choosing the easy way? Right. You know, what other forks in the road are there? Okay. So you go to federal prison. I'm sure that's a very dark time in your life. Explain that journey. And then how did you start to just build that self-trust back? I'm sure it was brick by brick, very slow process, but just taking one step forward each day. Explain that a little bit to the audience. So federal prison was, I was very fortunate. I went to a federal prison camp. So I was with other white collar offenders and nonviolent drug offenders. My safety was never a concern, but my torture, my real, it was a mental prison of shame Mm -hmm. because I knew what I was doing was wrong because I ignored that voice that said, stop, don't do this thousands of times. The shame was just so massive that it, it honestly led me to plan how I was going to end my life. And, you know, I started thinking about how could I do it? Could I hang myself in the woods? Could I do it in the gym? You know, and it was trying to come up with viable options. And it wasn't until I got a visit from one of my best friends for over 30 years that showed me that I had value and worth outside of all the things that I had thought made me worthy that I, I, turned my entire life around. And that was after his visit, that's when I started reinventing my life. And that's when I started looking at that voice not being there and realizing that I, you know, a lot of people say confidence is very important, but I think confidence is a byproduct of Mm self-trust. So when I started journaling and realizing I didn't have that voice um, and that decision, small decisions inside prison, you know, and there's not a lot of choice inside prison. So it's not like I'm making right. a ton of these things, right? right. It's not like you get to choose what you're going to eat for dinner. You eat what's on the menu. Uh, but they were, decisions were very challenging. Small decisions were very challenging. And I realized it's because I didn't trust myself to make the correct decision. So I start looking into confidence and that's what led me to realize that it's actually a byproduct, like I said, of that self-trust. Okay, how do I, how do I build that up? Mm-hmm. Well, I, re- I read from a friend of mine, actually, 
he put up a tweet. Um, and this was this actually started when I had just gotten out of prison, was in a Brooklyn halfway house. Okay. And so I had access to my phones because I didn't have phones in, in prison. And it said, the shortest path to self-confidence I know is making and keeping commitments to yourself. Mm. And that stuck with me. And I thought, again, back to that confidence, I said, no, it also applies to self-trust. And I'm going to apply that to self-trust. So I thought about why I made the choices that I made, what landed me in federal prison. And it ties to what we were saying. It was fear, fear of not having those conversations. Right. And so my intuition told me to write down all of my fears. And my number one fear was crystal clear. It was public speaking. And so I made a commitment inside prison to conquer that fear. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to deliver like a TEDx. I'm going, that was the biggest stage I could think of at the time. So okay. I committed to that. And that meant going to public speaking class. So I get out of prison. I'm in the halfway house, start Googling and I find Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, I don't like that answer. That answer's stupid. So I put it off. And so I get back to the computer a couple of weeks later and I Google public speaking brings me to Toastmasters. For some reason, it was fear telling me. I was like, right. that, that answer's dumb. I don't like this club. It's ridiculous. And finally, I connected to that, that one simple tweet about making and keeping commitments. And I remembered what I had done in prison. I said, I have to do this for myself. So I committed to going to a meeting. I committed to speaking at that meeting. If they allowed guests to you know, volunteer and, and chime in, I committed to go again and again. And that's how I started building it, was just making and keeping these commitments over and over again to myself. And I became the person who does what they say they're going to do. Mm. And that is how I rebuilt that trust. And I'd love to share one real pivotal story that for me was one of those inflection points in life where it really drove this practice home. So I had actually landed a TED talk. You know, five okay. years later, five years later, I actually, you know, get the phone call. I almost didn't pick it up because I was like, oh, this is spam. I don't know anybody in Massachusetts, <laughs> right? So I pick up with, I'm a little surly and it turns out it's the guy offering me a TEDx. That's awesome. And so I get it and I, I start preparing the speech and doing all that. And I thought to myself, I said, you know, I have a goal. I'd like to have 3 million people view this. Mm -hmm. How does somebody who has 3 million views, how do they make that happen? And I said, you know, one of the things is they embody what they're talking about. They own it so well that it just pours out of their body. And how can I do that? Well, I'm going to commit to practice three times a week for 30 or three times per day for 30 days. And I already had already put in like 10, 15 practices, but they were kind of loose. They weren't structured. Right. Three times a day, 30 days. So I'd have over 100 times running through this thing. Well, I'm about day 15. And it's about I go to bed at 10 every night. And so it's about 9.55. And I realized that I hadn't done number three. Okay. And I said, you know what? What does it matter? It is not a big deal. I go to bed at 10. I'm exhausted. I had just gotten home from work. You know, I just eaten, sat on the couch for maybe a half an hour to watch a little bit of TV, to unwind. I was like, I want to go to bed. It doesn't matter. And that voice, that heart spoke and said, do it. Mm. And so I got up. I delivered it. It was the, in those 15 days, it was the best one I had done. It was actually when I felt the material the most. And when I was done, it wasn't just that it was good in its delivery. 
that's when I genuinely became the man who does what he says he's going to do. And that was that inflection point for me where I was like, I can pretty much do whatever I want because I trust myself. Mm-hmm. And that was just, a, it was a massive moment for me. I, I, I love that, right? Actually following through what you say you're going to do. And I, I feel like so many people struggle with that fact, right? And struggle with that self-trust that I say, I'm going to do something. But then in your example, right? It's late at night, you're tired. You could have said, nope, I'm not going to do it. But you said, I am staying committed to what I've committed to and I'm going to I'm gonna do what I say I'm going to do. So that's, that, that's incredible. The other piece is, you know, and I want to go back to in prison, this conversation with a 30-year-old friend. You know, what was the words of wisdom that he provided, right? And, and I think the reason why I bring that up is so many times we can't see things and other people can. And that is truly one of the most amazing gifts we can, and I get a little emotional about it, give to other people is by pointing out the gifts, the amazing qualities that they have in themselves that they can't see if they're going through a very difficult time like you did in prison. So this is really interesting. He had no idea, you know, that he had such an impact until I actually shared the chapter in my book to make sure he was okay that I shared this. So when I was suicidal, my brain had come up with a short film of what my own suicide would look like. And it played it every second of every day for four months straight. It was just on auto loop. And it was just, it was, became so raw and so visceral like it was happening in real time. I could actually feel the bullet entering and exiting my head. I mean, it was it was terrible. And that's what I had to make stop. And I couldn't share that with anybody because you mentioned suicide in prison. They lock you in solitary confinement. Gotcha, so okay. here I am already at rock bottom with the man who was responsible for putting himself at rock bottom. And I hated that man. The mm-hmm. idea of being alone in solitary scared the hell out of me. So I had to bottle it all up. Gotcha. So my friend Sean emails me saying, hey, can I come for a visit this weekend? The visiting room is not monitored so I could share with him. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm so excited to be able to get this out of me. Gotcha. And we he shows up for the visit. We hug. He buys some food from the vending machine. We sit down and I'm on the verge of saying things are not good. I need your help. You know, please help me before I can utter a word he starts to talk. His life is a complete mess. He's getting a divorce. He's got money issues. He's got work issues. There's a sadness in his eyes and in his voice that in our 30 plus years of friendship, I've never seen or heard. Okay. And it it was that moment that changed my life because he could have walked a hundred feet to his brother's house. They were next door neighbors and they were really close. He could have shared all that with his brother. Right. He drove two hours to come to federal prison because he needed his friend. Hmm. He needed me. And that's when I realized I had value. That's when I realized I had worth. So it wasn't even direct words that he said. It was his actions of needing me and specifically Hmm. me. And that's what changed around. And I think to your point, we don't know how our actions can ripple out to others. Right. We have no idea how our actions can ripple out. And I think that's why knowing that is so important to ensure that we show up the way that we want to show up at all times, Mm. you know, because we don't know the person behind the counter at the bagel shop is having a crap day 
and we're just come in with a smile on our face and say something, we don't, we just don't know. And I think that's so important. Yeah. So, so, so true. It's that I love to say intentionality, right? What intentionality are you going to bring to every single day, to every single interaction? And can you muster up a smile, positivity, give something out to the universe in those small micro moments that we have with so many people and like smiles are free, right? Smiling at somebody when you walk in through a, a target or a grocery store and just giving your energy because so many people are hurting or you don't know what's going on in their world. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful when you get into that. And I will, I do it on a very regular, regular basis. And I challenge any of my listeners, anybody watching this, like do the same. It doesn't cost you anything to bring positive energy and to bring a smile. And I will tell you, it will be returned to you when you do that. And it just, it, it's, it's great from a soul heart perspective, terribly fulfilling when you can have a positive impact on other people just by smiling and being nice and courteous and, and bringing some energy to them. Yeah. It's extraordinary. And, you know, I like to, I, I try to do this every day. I don't, I don't always um, do this, but when I wake up in the morning, uh, ask who can I help today? Okay. You know, and that can just be writing a podcast review for somebody promoting somebody's book. You know, they, it doesn't have to be massive, but it's just that who can I help today? And if it's somebody out on the street at Target, somebody struggling to put something in their cart, you know, just being having that intentionality, like you said, to have the eyes open instead of walking through life with the blinders, have mm -hmm. them wide open so you can see those opportunities where, you know, you could be of service and help somebody. Yeah. So, so true. And that, so that leads into kind of, I know your morning routine is, is something you love foundational to what you do share. I'm, I know, you know, I'm a huge morning routine guy and, and it's foundational to what I do on a daily basis. I coach my son's on the same thing. What are a couple of things you love to do every single morning? What's your routine like, like look like for the audience? So this is, uh, it's a lot of them. Um, a lot of the practices I started in prison um, okay. and I still do every single day, but I wake up, um, actually, I wake up and I, I do a couple of who can I help today? If I remember mm -hmm. to ask that, who can I help today? Um, a couple of mantras, a couple of affirmations. Then I go straight into the cold shower. Jump right into the cold shower. No Wim Hof, no, no anything. I jump right, right into the shower. Um, I do some movement in the shower to kind of get going. A little Tony Robbins, you know, to get the state yep. uh, shifted and everything like that. And so I take that cold shower. Then I go right down to the yoga mat, uh, yoga, the meditation mat, actually. And I do 25 minutes of meditation in front of a juve red light. So I double okay. dip a little bit. I get my yep. red light therapy and I meditate. Then I go into yoga. I do a short 10 to 15 minute practice. I follow somebody on YouTube just to get that body moving. Mm -hmm. Then I'm sitting down at my desk. That is gratitude. Mm -hmm. I start off with gratitude, stream of conscious journaling. And then I do, this is courtesy of James Altucher, who is an amazing guy. If you're not familiar with him, definitely check him out. But okay. he um, has this uh, idea of doing 10 ideas a day. Okay. You write down 10 ideas a day. It could be 10 books you want to write, 10 chapters of those books, 10 shows you'd like to produce. You know, whatever it may be, it's not about coming up with good ideas. It's exercising that idea muscle and it's getting that creativity. So I do all of that. And then at this point, then I'm ready to sit down and write. 
And my morning routine, I'm kind of rushing through it. There are some nuances in there, but it is literally to get me to the point where I am ready to sit down to write and I can get into a flow state. Okay. It's designed to get me into that flow state. You know, I've got my binaural beats playing mm -hmm. so I can alter my, you know, alter my yeah. brain waves. Because I want to hit, when I sit down at the keyboard, I really want to tap into the things that are important to me. And I want to get to the level of truth that I think I need to get to, to actually have an impact. And I do that through flow. So my whole morning routine is really structured on that. And I know it's uh, sent you a note, like two weird little things I do in my morning routine. Um, when I'm really deep in the morning, um, my morning routine specifically for writing, this is when I'm a little bit deeper into a book. Mm -hmm. I will listen to Patty Griffin, Long Ride Home, which is a country song and I'm a metal guy. But my first editor told me that that song is like the epitome of show, don't tell. Hmm. And so I listened to that. I listened to it when I wrote the first book every single day for three That's and awesome. a half years. And I do juggling with one hand. Okay. So while the song's playing, I juggle. But what that does is get me, it goes into that little bit of subconscious mind. Yep. You know, I'm just focused on that. So when I sit down at the keyboard, I am really able to jump in. So weird little, weird little two things. But I think why I bring that up, and I'm curious what you think about this is, I think there are some things that are really important for a lot of people to consider putting in their morning routine, like movement, like mm -hmm. meditation, like gratitude. I think those are kind of staples, but it's finding what works for you. Yep. It's having something. Mine happens to be these two kooky little things, but when I sit down to do what it is that I wanna do, that gives me the most meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in my life. I'm my optimal self because of those two kooky things. Yep. No, I, I love it. I think you need to put on that white lab coat, become a scientist, play around with what works for you. I mean, I play Eye of the Tiger Rocky music every morning when I'm getting my little bit of push-ups, sit-ups, and, and air squats in because that's like a signal to me like, all right, it's go time, getting up. It doesn't matter how you feel. This is who you are. So I, I love those little nuances that we can, uh, we can put in there. So let's circle back to just self-trust because I think it's so vital. What are a couple things people, as they're listening to this episode and they say, yeah, that's great, Craig. I, I want to keep that commitment to myself, but I always fall short. What are a couple things that people can do to increase that self-trust and start to build it from where they're at currently? So I'm going to get to that. Before I do that, I actually want to frame why I think not why self-trust is so important. It's not okay. only you're the person who says that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Self-trust, I think, from what I realize with my clients, talking to friends, what I see on the internet, um, it gets a little confused with trust and faith, okay. where I, you know, it's the faith that everything's going to work out okay. That is not what self-trust is. Self-trust is, regardless of how things turn out, I'm going to be okay. Gotcha. And that, I think, is such a critical delineation because if you are thinking of doing something extraordinary, if you are thinking of writing that book, starting a business, um, writing the musical that's been singing in your head for all these years, there's a lot of fear involved in that, right? Mm -hmm. There could be a tremendous amount of fear. But if you know that you're going to be okay, regardless of how these products turn out, that's going to enable you to take the first step. That's right. why self-trust is so important. Yep. So how do you do it? it really is making and keeping those commitments, right? So we wanna get really, what I would start is with, what do I want, 
what do I truly want? How do I truly want to feel? And what's important on this is to not identify the things that you don't want. Our brains have a tendency to do that. When you ask somebody what they want, well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And they believe that they're answering the question, but they're really not. So it's clarity on what you want and why you want it. That's going to help you define those commitments that you uh, make. And it's Mm -hmm. also going to give you the fuel having that why to keep that commitment. And so that's going to be really, really important. Um, you're a gym guy. So this is this is an obvious one um, for me. But if you struggle with going to the gym, pack the gym bag and put it in front of the door. Yep. Stack the deck in your favor. Uh, I have a client who struggles with reading before they go to sleep. They really want to do it, okay. uh, but they always find themselves, you know, when they when they come in, they forget, they fall right into bed, they go to sleep. Put the book on your pillow. Hmm. Make it so you have to move it. You want to, however you can, whatever whatever you want to do, you want to eliminate as many of those little obstacles that can stand in your way. Like I said, stack the deck in your favor. So however you can do that. And another one I'd like to throw on, and this is critically important, you make and keep that commitment to yourself. Give yourself a second to pat yourself on the back. Celebrate it. We are so trained to not... We were like, I did what I said I'm going to do. There's no big deal. We want to actually use our brain's reward system in our favor. We want to release that dopamine so that we say, hey, when I do that, that feels really good. And I want to do it again. And I want to do it again. I want to go a little bit deeper. And that's how you do it. So it really is stacking the deck and celebrating yourself when you do. Acknowledge yourself. Pat yourself on the back. Yeah, those are critical components. I loved how you framed it up first. And then gave some some real actionable strategies that people can implement today, right? And if you've struggled with procrastination, you've struggled with that self-trust in yourself, use what Craig says and take action from it. That is the critical, critical piece. So Craig, I've loved the, uh, loved the interview. Where can people find you? My website, craigstanlin.com. And you can also check out my memoir, Blank Canvas, How I Reinvented My Life After Prison. It's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Awesome. Craig, I appreciate you being on the show. Jeff, thank you so much for having me on. Loved our conversation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have an amazing, amazing rest of your day. Rise, fight, love, repeat. Get after it. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to your Hidden Edge podcast. You are now part of the movement, part of a tribe who's on a mission to uncover their hidden edge. We are stronger together. So please share this. Show up with one person in your network that you want to help. Together, we can empower others and connected, we can make a dent in the universe.